I saw that one, but then it has somebody's music on it. Do you want to hear me sing? Well, thanks a lot. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And I picked this up. Some of you who are smarter got it. Yeah. Okay, here we are. Exodus chapters 7 through 12. But not all today. But we're starting part one of when God plagues a nation, when that nation is our nation. So I want to talk about that. I'm going to take my time, as the Lord would lead, and just talk about these things that are going on right now, applying these things in Exodus chapter 7 through 12 of God plaguing Egypt, Egypt for, a, for seven purposes, but then I want to look at three main things in an overview. So I'm not sure how far we're going to get this morning. Are you okay with that? Okay. So on each side, there are these handouts, because the question is, how long did the plagues last? And so I'm concluding about five, or, five to six months. So this guy here wrote, uh, um, gave a reason for that that I think is very good, and I think you'll probably agree with that. So anyway, Exodus chapter 7, would you uh, stand? We're gonna read, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 as a starter, and then we're going to do a responsive reading in Psalm 115. I'm going to do the first and odd verses, and you're going to reply in the second and even verses. So here we go. Exodus chapter 7. You have your Bibles, your gadgets, your widgets, whatever. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. So Psalm 115 fits very well with what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning. So in verse, I'll, I'll read the the first verse, you take the second, and we'll do that through the psalm. Can we have that up there? Psalm 115. There we go. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory, because of your mercy and because of your truth. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, they have, but they do not see. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet, they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. In 
verse 15 altogether. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Interesting, we just sang that song. So, Lord, we, we lift our hearts to you this morning. We ask you to open them up to hear what you're saying to us, to soften our hearts as needed. Give us ears to hear. The things that I prepared, I'm asking, Lord, your blessing over them. You'd break them fresh. Feed us. We're hungry. We know that our faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that your word is a light and a lamp. It's able to divide the things that are important and communicate to us truth. And then, Lord, as finding good soil, bring forth much fruit. So I'm asking your blessing over it. We're asking that, Lord, that as you're speaking through your word, which you always do, May we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying now. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So you can be seated. So, I want to I give a little shout out. You wouldn't know this behind the scenes, but Megan inputs the notes that go up on the, sta- on the, on the screen. A lot of times she's doing that because it's, it's right before service begins, because I just keep rethinking everything. So... Uh, can we give a shout out to Megan? She puts these things in there and she is fantastic. So the 10 plagues, a lot of things that, that we can talk about. I'm going to try and dissect them as we go, but there are three main things. It's an earthly confrontation that's taking place when these things are happening. It was a conf- confrontation be two, between two representatives. You have Moses and you have Pharaoh. You have good and you have evil. You have God and you have Satan. It was a confrontation over obedience to the clear command of God. The problem wasn't communication, it was confrontation. So let my people go eight times. The problem, again, is Pharaoh did not want to do what God said to do. And that's the problem always as God speaks, as God moves, as God is messaging us. It was a confrontation that confirmed the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. So it proved that out, what was really going on in Pharaoh's heart. This confrontation also had, we're going to look at these as we get to plagues 4 and 8, it had compromises that were subtly put in there by Pharaoh. We're going to look at those compromises because we deal with the same thing. Pharaoh is just like Satan. He is a liar, a deceiver. if If he can't get us through direct confrontation, he'll come in the back door. He'll cunningly get us compromising in ways that we didn't even realize. 2 Corinthians says, this, 11.3, I fear, Paul writing to the Corinthians, and they had a lot of problems, lest I, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, interesting, he says, so your minds, that's where it's taking place, may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we've got to come back to Jesus. It's a simple thing. We come back to Jesus, come back to Christ. It's not complicated. What God's saying is not complicated. We complicate it. The devil wants to complicate it. The devil wants to bring confusion into our thinking processes and keep us from being able to to hear what God's saying and respond accordingly. So it's an earthly confrontation. It's also a heavenly confrontation. And here's the confrontation. Beautiful. It's the patience and mercy of God with his enemies. That's the confrontation from heaven. God's patience condemned Pharaoh crowned Moses. God gave each man opportunities to make a choice. By patience and persistence, God seeks to persuade those choices. He is good. 
So this heavenly confrontation, also we're going to see there's an increasing severity as God is ignored or God is refused. These, these plagues become more and more severe. The protection also we see here of God over his people through the judgments. May I say to you, God has not appointed us to wrath. He will protect us. He will keep us. He will watch us just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fiery furnace, just like Daniel in the lion's den. So God has, through all of his judgments, he will keep us. He will protect us. He knows what he's doing. Can you say amen? The purposes of God also are accomplished through his judgments. So these judgments are of God's doing to accomplish his purposes in all of time and history. So, when God plagues a nation, when that nation is our nation, we're experiencing many of these things. So, the purpose of these confrontations in Exodus is to publicly manifest the mighty power of the Lord God. Would you say amen? This is, the, this is what's going on here in Exodus and also in our nation to publicly manifest the mighty power of the Lord God. Secondly, to demonstrate Yahweh as sovereign Lord over all gods. I think every one of these should be seven amens. To demonstrate Yahweh is sovereign Lord over all gods. There is no rival. Third, to judge the gods of the Egyptians. Major. To judge the gods of the Egyptians. Number four, to punish Egypt for their cruel treatment of the Hebrews. God cares what's happening to his people. He's watching over that. He will take care of that. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. And then to furnish a complete testing of personal, individual responsibility. This is God speaking and men men responding. And so there's going to be this complete testing of personal, individual responsibility. This all is through the judgments of God. And then seven, to solemnly warn, six rather, to solemnly warn other nations and to establish the faith of the Hebrews. That final one, number seven, to establish the faith of the Hebrews. He says, I'm going to do all these things that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Are we looking at the difficulties we're going through in our nation's History right now. Are we looking at that as God saying to you, to me, now you will know that I am the Lord. And I'm seeing that happening in my heart. God is Lord. And if he isn't, we're in big trouble. And then to our children. In Exodus chapter 10, the Lord said to Moses, So go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell them in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that they may know that I am the Lord. And let me say to you, I, I see the Lord sort of sifting to where we realize, parents realize, grandparents realize, our children need to know who God is. And they need to see that through my testimony and my life. And again, we're going to talk about these things maybe more than once. So I outlined this for our next few studies are three things. When God plagues a nation, when that nation is our nation. Number one, the Lord our God is the solution, not the problem. Can you say amen? The Lord our God is a solution, not the problem. Now, you listen to the world and you listen to what's going on. They're going to say... God's the problem. Christians are the problem. No, 
God is the solution, not the problem. Secondly, evil is overcome by the sovereign Lord God. Whatever we're facing, whatever's going on in this plaguing of our nation, God, evil is overcome by God, the sovereign Lord God. Third, we are set free. I love this. We are set free through the sacrifice lamb, sacrifice lamb of God. Where are we turning? Where are we going? Hold on a second. The Lamb of God came to take care of the problem in our relationship with God of sin. And when that blood is applied to our lives, we are safe, we are secure, and we will be delivered. That's what's happening. Through the judgments of God. He has not appointed us to wrath. So as I look at the ten plagues, as we begin this series, there are some patterns and progressions that are interesting. What they mean, I'll leave to you. But these ten plagues are in three triplets, and then the final one, death. The first three plagues, there is a warning, one. There is a warning, number two. And then there's no warning, number three. That happens in each of the three triplets. Warning. Warning, no warning. Warning, warning, no warning. Warning, warning, no warning. No warning. In the first three, there's no difference between Egypt and the Hebrews. The first three. So these plagues, these first three, are, are not pleasant. In fact, they literally stink. You ever say that? Oh, this stinks. I don't like this. And... What, what happens, they interfere with their comforts, but relief comes. So those are the first three. The second three, there now is a distinction between Egypt and the Hebrews. And it's fascinating. It's miraculous. It's God. So he now makes a distinction between the Hebrews and the Egyptians. There's an increased severity. There's physical harm of persons, possessions, and property. So it gets more severe in the second three. Warning, warning, no warning. In the third triplet, hail, locusts, and darkness, there's still a distinction between Egypt and Israel, increased severity than even the second triplet. But in these three, there's no relief. There's complete destruction, desolation, and death. So these plagues that God is meeting out are God's progressive means of doing the seven things that we looked at. That's what he's accomplishing in that. And so then you get to the death of the firstborn in chapter 11. You get to the Passover instituted in chapters 12. You get the 10th plague, which is death of the firstborn. And then you get the exodus, leading up to the deliverance of God's people, miraculous three miraculously through Moses and then through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. So the Lord our God is the solution, not the problem. Evil is overcome by the sovereign Lord God. And we are set free through the sacrificed lamb of God. So let me begin with some thoughts. I do not like what I am experiencing in my nation, which was once a nation under God. I'm disturbed by it. It's been an angst for most of us, if not all of us, in this room because we love our nation and we love God. So for me, experiencing these things, I believe that God is for me, not against me. 
I believe that God caused all things to work together for good to those who, not everyone, to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God does that. I believe that. But I have had to repent on many occasions for my anger that has been anything but trusting God or Christ-like. Now, you probably don't want to say amen to that one. But many of us would. And it's because we love our nation. It's because we understand good and evil. It's because we see things through the eyes of God as far as what is right and what is wrong. What is righteous and what is unrighteous? What is godly and what is ungodly? And so it stirs up. And then as my eyes are not on the Lord and I'm looking at the governments, I'm looking at these institutions, the education, I'm looking at and I'm going, this is wrong. And I'm going to just let them know. I'm going to let them have it. Psalm 711. It's not that anger is wrong. Psalm 711 says this. God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked Every day. So, that I, I, I put yes. But then these passages bother me. And I hope they bother you, just so I'm not alone. I'm often in need of an attitude reset when it comes to seeing God's judgments. James 1 says this. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Now, the context, what I'll get to as we get to the end of this little passage is in the context of temptation. For when he has been approved, he received the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But, everyone is tempt, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Good. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word, by the sword of, by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, here it is, application. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to what? Wrath. For the wrath of of man does not produce the righteousness of God. As mad as I might get, it's going to do no no help to the righteousness of God. That's convicting. Then I read Romans chapter 12. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to what? Wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. God's judgments. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If, if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. You might be... <laughs> Burning inside. Hey, transfer it. How? Be good. Give him a drink. Give him some food. Do what he would never expect. Do, here it is, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is also very convicting. And so as we're facing these things in our nation, as we're seeing these things, our anger can get in the way 
of really being able to praise and worship God in what he's accomplishing through his judgments. The Lord our God is the solution, not the problem. Evil is overcome by the sovereign Lord God. We are set free through the sacrificed lamb. We ought to come back to that cross continuously. There is our freedom. To judge the gods of the Egyptians. These are demonic beings that are pure evil. Numbers, or Exodus chapter 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The evil is overcome by the sovereign Lord God. He is judging these invisible forces of darkness in the demonic realm. It's interesting. Three times the magicians were allowed to demonstrate. I call it demonstrate. Their power. And every time, they were completely routed by God. So God let them sort of... Second Timothy, now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt mind disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will manifest all as theirs also was. God is going to overcome evil as the sovereign Lord God. The Egyptians worshipped a whole array of gods, a demonic polytheism. We were in Nepal for about five months way back, maybe even before we were born. Is that possible? No. And they had, you know, they have many gods. So as we're walking down the street, they had this grate, a literal grate, covered a hole, and that was someone's god. There were flowers on it and stuff. We'd see a hole in the ground, and there's flowers. That's someone's god. We'd see a rock. That's someone's god. And it was kind of comical, except it's not funny. These are demonic beings that have people in darkness and blindness worshiping they know not what. Those are the Egyptian gods. They're demonic forces lurking in the dark to enslave people to death. So I'm not trying to be sensational. I'm working to be scriptural. And brothers and sisters, these forces of darkness are no match for us in the flesh. But our Lord God going to overcome evil on every front. We must see ourselves in Christ, standing in his army. Now, idolatry is strictly forbidden by God. Why? Because God is threatened? (laughs) No. But, But God knows that they are demonic, deceptive, dangerous, and deadly. These demonic forces are at work to keep people enslaved to lies and fear. Leviticus 17, 7. And they shall no more offer their sacrifice unto devils, after whom they have gone a-whoring. This shall be a statute forever unto them throughout their generations. Don't do it. Psalm 106. Yea, they sacrifice their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works and went a-whoring with their own intentions. Listen, I say this thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ and the healing that comes for all sin and all sinners. 
But let me say to you, abortion is the idolatry of sacrificing our children on the altar of convenience. And our nation, if there's nothing else, we are, we are under the judgment of God because of it. It's one of the issues, if not the issue, if, if there were none others, that. Jeremiah said this. I've shared this. Here it is. I've never put it on the screen. Here it is. Because they have forsaken me and made this an alien place, because they have burned incense in it to other gods whom, they neither, whom neither they, they, their fathers, nor the kings of Judah have known, and have filled this place with the blood of the innocents. They have also built the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offering to Baal, which I did not command or speak, nor did it come into my mind. So as I read this passage, I think this whole idea of sacrificing our children is something so evil. God, it's like it, it almost shudders God. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Tophet or the valley of the son of Hinnu, but the valley of slaughter. So I want us to just hear that again, all of us. Our nation is responsible for just that before a holy God. He sent Jesus, and I want to speak to all of you who have gone through an abortion. There is wholeness and healing because God is that kind of God. And the things that go on in your heart and mind we have programs, healing hearts. Many of them are very good. But bottom line, it gets down to you coming to God. God. In the painful depths of your heart. And know that's why Jesus died on a cross. So that you can find forgiveness and healing from him. I often have thought, I can't forgive myself. And then I realized, you know, I may not be able to, but God has. He's the one that I need to receive from, and so do you. God wants to heal your life. Healing Hearts is a fantastic ministry for just that for you. Men and women both. Marriage. It used to be a sacred institution. Now it's a secular institution of mayhem. It's no wonder we're seeing the plaguing of our nation. The flaunting of sexual perversity in what God condemns. All these things, by the way, are now sanctioned by the highest court in our nation. Our educational institutions, they become the halls and classrooms of blasphemous ideologies and demonic indoctrination. I'm not standing up here as anyone that can go and make that, make that solve it. We all know that. But listen, we've got to get back to those three things. As this is happening, what God is doing is paramount. It's paramount. We've got to get our eyes back on him. And walk through this thing understanding the Lord God is the solution, not the problem. We have to turn to him in worship and prayer and fellowship in the word. That evil is overcome by the sovereign Lord God. We're powerless 
When we begin to add up the evils, we're powerless in that sense, except that we're armed with the armor of God and we're walking in the presence of God, armed by God and praying and seeking him to take us through this path that I'm on, my little sphere of influence, and help, Lord, use my life to make a difference. And then we're set free through the sacrificed lamb of God. We come back to the Passover. Jesus is our Passover. We come back to the cross because that's the only place we're going to find a sense of stability and authenticity in our own hearts that unless the Lord were to do these things, it's not going to happen. But because of the Lord in my life, he will make it happen. Psalm 82 says this, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges the gods. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. When it's all said and done, God's going to be on his throne again on planet earth. So make no mistake about it, demons are real, alive, and well on planet earth. I'm not trying to be sensational. I'm working and laboring to be scriptural, and I hope you can receive these scriptures and think them through, because I'm not trying to be sensational, but I'm being, I think this is a serious thing as we talk about when God plagues our nation, my nation. Why? We've heard these things. We know these things. Let's bring them back to the forefront in our minds and realize, hey, God is, a, is plaguing our nation because he wants to do these things. And he's doing them. <laughs> I was thinking about when I was really young. I forget how old I was. But um, I was young. How many of you remember, hey, we ya, we need ya. We're going to ask a wild question. Nobody? <laughs> Are you serious? You know what a Ouija board is? Well, they were selling millions of them with that tune. So it became sort of this thing. And we had one, my home. My mom and dad are Christians. Hey, Ouija, we need you. We're going to ask a wild question. And so this demonic realm had its subtle entrance into our home. Now you might think, well, that's a little bit. No, listen. God has said, don't mess around with these things. They are real. In fact, with that, they had this special edition of a Barbie Ouija board. Nobody knows about that? Maybe I was dreaming that. Can somebody just say, yeah, I knew it. You knew it. Okay, good. Okay. You just don't want to tell me how old you are. <laughs> Another scripture. How are we doing? Ephesians 6, you know it. You've heard it probably many times. Maybe you haven't. If you haven't, this is a good time to listen. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powerful forces, the Egyptian God's invisible realm. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against principalities, I lost my chart, against against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole arm of God that you may be able to what? Withstand in the evil day, withstand evil, and then having done all to stand. Stand there for having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and yield that thing, and the shield of faith. So we need to be walking through this world that God is plaguing our nation, armed with God's power and God's truths 
and taking the word of God, and then he says, and praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to send with all perseverance. So he's saying, you pray, you be in the word, you arm yourself with the right, you keep the gospel on your feet as you're walking through, and we go at it as those given a, a, a commission by God to go into this dark world, to go into these plague places and say, I'm here, God, what would you have, what would you have me to do? How would you have me to live? And he gives us quite an array of, of uh, instruction on that. See, the devil will never cease from coming after your faith in God. He will never stop. Subtly, deceitfully, through lies and passions and all these kinds of things, he's after you. He's after me. And here is Moses and Aaron standing for God before Pharaoh, and thus so also are we. We stand in this world as Christians, as soldiers, as ambassadors, as message bearers for God and the gospel. Friends, there is no greater purpose in life than being God's ambassador and God's soldier and God's witness in the world, his mouthpiece. And oh, how we need the Lord to strengthen us in the inner man, to go out and fight the good fight of faith, to lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets us. Say, Lord, here I am. You know, Moses was reluctant, but he finally went, and look what God did. You may feel reluctant in this thing, but I'm saying, let's go. Let's go at it. Let's go after these things in this plagued nation and say to God, what would you have me to do? Let's go. Let's go for it. Let's declare to the world that our God is sovereign and powerful and good and gracious and merciful. And he's, he sent his son for us. The power of God is superior over all things. And we must be diligent to keep God our all in all. Psalm 135, I know that, that the Lord is great and our God is above all gods. Whoever the Lord... Wherever, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all the deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of the treasuries. He destroyed the firstborn of Egypt, both man and beast. He sent signs and wonders into their midst of you, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and all his servants. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge his people and he will have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Sounds like Psalm 115. They have eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. What am I trusting in? What am I going after? You see, worshiping any other than God himself, we become blind, deaf, mute, Crippled, lifeless. Just what the devil ordered. But our God is above all gods. He is who we worship. God has created everything for us to enjoy as he intended. God never intended these things to be placed before him. What things? The idolatrous things that we go, over, go after and begin to rule over our lives. Those who trust in them become like them. 
If we worship beauty, we become skin deep, ruled by vanity. If we worship money, we become greedy, ruled by materialism. If we worship pleasure, we become sensual, ruled by impulse. If we worship sex, we become hormonal, ruled by lust. If we worship power, we become a tyrant, ruled by pride. If we worship fame, we become self-absorbed, ruled by self. That's an empty place to be. If we worship knowledge, we become condescending, ruled by conceit. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. The descriptions go on and on. Whatever works, the devil will use to steer us away from a complete and one and all commitment to God. And no idolatry is going to creep in. So here's what I say. It might sound crazy. We should thank God for bringing judgment, judgment on these gods in our own hearts. Whether individually or nationally, we can thank God for what he's doing. Exposing these things, calling out these things, challenging these things, battling this out. Jesus came, died, and rose victoriously to put in place the final confrontation in which God will, God will have complete and final victory over the devil and the totality of his fallen demonic forces, and they shall be no more. That's what's happening. That's what God's going to accomplish. We must remember that he is a jealous God. You shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. He's jealous for you. He wants the best for you. He loves you. Dear brother, dear sister, God will entertain no rivals because he loves us. He chose us. He redeemed us. So it's for your sake and my sake he will no rivals, if we're really going to understand who he is and who he is for us. As we keep our eyes on him, we will be changed through the toughest, hardest, most painful things in our lives. Paul put it this way, 2 Corinthians 3, but we all with unveiled face, Behold, as a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So the same image, I want to be fashioned in the image of God, not idol, I, idols, not idolatry, not these things that can grab my attention and begin. Those who trust in them become like them. I want to become like God. How about you? Do I love or treasure anything or anyone above God? Do I prioritize anything or anyone before God? Does anything bring me more pleasure than the things of God? Do I place my identity in anything other than being a child of God? Do I look to anything or anyone to meet my needs instead of God? See, these are deep things of relationship with God. They're there for us. 
Do I look to anything or anyone to meet my needs instead of God? Or to find fulfillment or satisfaction with anything outside of God? This is the subtleties of what goes on that's rampant and, over, and rules over the whole world. Idolatry is the placement of God with something else. The yielding of our primary devotion and chief affections to anyone or anything beside the Lord. Idolatry is the giving of that worship and glory to any other which is due to him alone. Westminster, that's Westminster's short catechism. Indeed, the first commandment unequivocally states, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. And God says, I want to come into your heart and rid those things. I want to change your life radically. So the message this morning in closing is simply this. Is God the supreme priority and passion of your heart from whom all things flow? The things of faith and love and obedience and trust and security and assurance and purpose and the list goes on. The things of God. See, that's what we have as God's purpose in our lives. The things of family and marriage and friends and fellowship and witness and on goes. These are the things that God has for us. And many times it's necessary for him to begin to plague these gods, these other things that are in front of him, before him, over him. And saying, that's not going to help. And God in his mercy comes. Here's another question. Does God, have competing, does God have competing priorities as to your time, your talents, your treasures? Where is he? So I say we must ask God to judge these gods lest they become a weight and sin that easily ensnares us. Oh, that God would do such a work in our hearts to rid them of any and all of them to where they are no more. Materialism, addictions. God wants to come in and clean house for us. I'm going to close. I'm going to stop there. So, would you stand with me? Gather the worship team, come up. So, Lord, I am thankful. We are thankful for what you have accomplished for us through your Son on a cross. Dying, rising again, and we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, I believe your heart to us this morning is that we would ask you to search them, to try them, see if there's any wicked way, anything that's in before you or in front of you or more prioritized than you. Search our hearts.